Welcome to the Film Coterie. I'm Roger. I'm Adam. And this is a special interview edition of the Film Coterie. Yeah, we have a nice surprise from Overlook. I had the chance to see Wolfman's Got Nards. This is a documentary made by Andre Gower and Henry McComas about The Monster Squad, a movie yep. that's very near and dear to my heart in my film fandom. So I met the guys at Overlook, and they agreed to do this interview, so we're going to share it with you. But I'm happy. Monster Squad's back. You can finally get it everywhere. I, I, I bought it on iTunes. Yep, absolutely. It was gone for so many years. It was just You couldn't get it anywhere. And that's what this documentary's about, is how this movie kind of failed in 87, built up a fandom through home video and HBO, and this fandom held on to the movie the whole time. Even though they couldn't get it anywhere, they couldn't be in their collection as a DVD. And then to have it suddenly resurge in 2006, and then, and then 10 years later, here we are. So the movie's a fun look at that journey of this movie. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the movie, directed by Fred Decker, written by the one and only Shane Black. And the thing is, that, and they're right, they say this in the movie, this came out six months before Lethal Weapon hit. Right. If they had just waited, if they just, and it opened against the Lost Boys too. If they had just waited and were able to advertise this as from Shane Black, the writer of Lethal Weapon... It would have been a completely different story for this movie. Yeah. And uh, I remember going and seeing the movie back in 87 when it came out, but I don't rem- I couldn't remember what it was about. I, I had it kind of like, there's a whole collection of movies like Goonies and some of those that all seem to run together, you know? Uh, and so I thought I knew what it was about, but I remember going to see it at the theater. And so um, I went ahead and purchased it on iTunes because I knew we were going to do the interview with Andre and Henry. And uh, I asked my son, Zach, to watch it with me. And um, he really liked it. You know, I didn't know he's a 17-year-old kid. He's, his world is completely different than the world of 1987, you know. But he dug it. He got into the story. He liked the comedy and the campiness of the movie a lot. But let's say this, too. The movie has an edge. This movie feels more dangerous for the, the kid actors in terms of their character survival than, like, oh, yeah. the Goonies. Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. It holds up. The special effects are still pretty good. And the monster makeup and creature designs are all great. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So Zach really liked it, and uh, of course I la- I liked it and laughed and enjoyed it, and uh, uh, it's a good kind of a gateway entry into the little horror genre, you know. So and let's talk about this. The finale is one of the best finales for any <laughs> oh, yes. genre of, yep. of '80s kind of Amblin style teen movies. It's such a great finale. The yeah. big showdown. Yep, Ab- absolutely. Um, you. It, I like the way that they used humor in the movie itself, you know, in the sense of to relieve the tension. And, you know, I guess we, should, we could get into spoilers. The movie's still Monster Squad, yes. It's 30, 30 years, years old. old. <laughs> but um, they have to have a virgin to uh, say the magic words, to create the portal, to suck all of the people out. And uh, they ran into some trouble because somebody wasn't honest. <laughs> Or thought that the, their boyfriend didn't count. <laughs> and we'll be up front. The movie's uh, not politically correct. It was made in 87. No. Honestly, these kids are talking like kids at that time. I mean, it was, I think, a very realistic portrayal with yeah. the dialogue and the behavior it, yeah. of the kids. You couldn't have the same script today. That movie would never get released just because of the political incorrectness of the speech and language. But that's how kids talked. I mean, I was a teenager in the 80s. That's how they talked, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, but it, so it was a good representation of that as well. So... So we're going to talk about Wolfman's Got Nards again. This is the documentary about the Monster yes. Squad. It's currently making its run on the festival circuit, and we'll be re-releasing this episode when it actually comes out. So we'll let you know when you can get it at home, whether and, and it's on VOD or Blu-ray. 
And why is why what what why is it called Wolfman's Got Nards? <laughs> it's one of the more famous lines from the movie. It'll <laughs> exactly. make you laugh. <laughs> oh. I was always partial to my name is Horace. <laughs> yep. He finally takes a stand and he's the hero. That's a that's a victory moment. That's for right. All the kids like Horace. Yeah, there you go. So let's not wait any longer. Let's jump into it with uh, Andre and Henry. All right, uh, we got two special guests with us this evening. We have Andre Gower from the Monster Squad and Henry McComas, the producer of a new documentary called Wolfman's Got Nards. If that name sounds Hi. familiar... Oh, go ahead, guys. <laughs> Sorry, we jumped in there. Going. Yeah, going. jump in. Jump all over it. <laughs> How you guys doing? We're doing good. We're doing good. We love Monster Squad and uh, cannot wait to see the documentary. Well, I've seen it. Let me let me spoil that. I was at Overlook, and I had the chance to check it out. Was that one of your first showings? Yeah, that was our second screening. So when we were at Overlook, that was exactly one year from when we started production. And okay. you uh, you said you saw it. What would you think? Man, I liked it. We're going to put out a review. I'm behind on my Overlook coverage because life's a little crazy after you get back from one of those festivals. But uh, I really like the balance you struck between nostalgia and then kind of looking back at the, the people behind it, specifically Shane Black and uh, Fred Decker. Awesome. Yeah, those two really, I mean, when you're looking at something like doing kind of a retrospective look into and underneath of the fan following of something like the Monster Squad, um, you, you could have, you know, an hour and a half of just that. But, you know, having Shane's perspective... Uh, from back then and today, and then Fred's story, you know, kind of counterbalancing everything going on there, it, it really makes the whole uh, kind of film really balanced out and, and much, much deeper. Yeah, and as a film geek, I'm a guy that goes right to film commentaries. As soon as I get the DVD or Blu-ray, I like digging into those. The The Fred Decker stuff you guys got is really good. That was the highlight of the movie to me, just to see his complicated feelings on, on Monster Squad all these years in the past. It was pretty special shooting that. It was awesome seeing Fred be so honest and at times so passionate and the other times uh, so down. He, he, he was giving us his all. Well, if we have any listeners that don't know what the Monster Squad is, and uh, I'm in, you should. You need to check out this movie. It came out in 87. I don't think I saw it in theaters. I saw it when I was younger. I think I caught it on either HBO or, or some kind of home video release is when I first discovered it. Roger, did you see it in theaters? I, I actually did see it in the theaters. I um, I was born in 1970, so I'm a teenager of the 80s. And so, uh, big movie goer. And I actually remember uh, seeing this in the theater and just laughing and thinking it was hilarious. And then uh, just forgot about it, you know, until Adam said, hey, you know, you ever heard this movie called The Monster Squad? And I'm like, from like the 80s? And he's like, yeah, they're doing this documentary. And so... Uh, yeah, absolutely. I remember watching it in the theater, enjoying it, laughing, uh, liking the campiness of it and the fun of it. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I mean, this, uh, you know, the documentary that, um, you know, kind of kind of addresses that kind of dynamic that you have right there, seeing it. And then, you know, it, it kind of withered away for a little bit. And um, it's interesting to revisit that if you weren't still attached to it since, you know, your first viewing. And so it really kind of covers all of those bases of people that either saw it and forgot about it or saw it and it has, you know, connected with them forever and they've been a part of it for 30 years. So we don't leave anybody out. No, no one. 
one of the fun things about the doc is all you have to do to be able to relate to it is remember falling in love with a movie, any movie. And if that's an experience you can share, then you'll be able to strap on and ride along with this one. Now, you, Andre, you were in the movie. For those that don't know, you played Sean. Um, right. <laughs> you have some great stories from it. You were kind of sharing it overlook. And I really like the stuff about Tom Noonan as Frankenstein's monster. I guess I didn't realize he went method in that role. Uh, I think he, I think he, I think he's just method every day, no matter what role he's in, but yeah. uh, he's certainly, yeah. um, Bill Frank, he's, yeah, he's still walking around and, and I'll add even something how method he is in a second, but, uh, yeah, I think with Duncan who played Dracula and Tom, who was, you know, Frankenstein's monster, um, they had, I, I think Tom Noonan would have done it anyway, but then I think there was sort of this strategy to never let the kids in the movie see them as guys that get put into makeup uh, and keep that reality there of the characters. And especially with the, the, you know, the younger kids, like we had, like, I didn't know what Tom Newman looked like. I was making the monster squad for three and a half months and I had to go rent Manhunter to see what this guy looked like. <laughs> and, um, I wish I hadn't rented Manhunter to see what this guy looked like. And then, I was even more, then I was even more scared, right? But, um, you know, to do something like that takes a, that's a big commitment. And, you know, that's three, three and a half hours or more of makeup application, putting it on every morning, and then two to three of taking it off every night. And that's, that's a deep commitment. So you're really serious about what you're doing on the day when you want to deal with that. And, um, you know, and it shows, I think, especially with, uh, you know, he interacted with Ashley Bank, who played Phoebe so much, that she she never saw what he looked like, I think, until the premiere night, which I don't even know if he was at. Now, I know Tom didn't leave character, but when we shot Duncan's interview, we were interviewing Dracula, and he was back in his character, and he <laughs> took over the room, and he was super creepy. That's awesome. Did he leave character on set as well? I think Duncan Regeer just has this presence as a human being anyway because yeah. he's very learned he's very well read he's very deep he's an artist he you know he has a wine vintage you know in his name and uh he's a painter and he's he, he, he like you could almost step back and go i actually think you are a vampire that's lived for about 400 <laughs> 500 years and just because you know you have that aura about you and he's so imposing and you know, he's tall and he's thin and he can look right through you. And um, it, it's, it, I mean, two great finds, you know, to find some character actors of iconic monsters that really brought their own kind of taste to it and um, really made an impact. Because, you know, if, you know, I know we were talking about Tom, but we're talking about Duncan. I mean, you know, a lot of movie fans that are big time horror and monster fans think Duncan Regeer is one of the top Draculas ever put on screen. Absolutely. And, you know, I've heard top 10, I've heard top five, I've heard the best of all time. So, you know, kudos to him and to Tom to, you know, taking a kid's monster movie and, and really going, you know, making a home run out of it. But, you know, Tom Noonan's so, so into that uh, character when we were shooting that movie that there was a... I don't know if it was the uh, HBO did a documentary about it or, you know, they were doing something just after the movie and they wanted to interview him playing this role. And he said, I will only do it in makeup and in character. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
no, we just wanted to interview you and ask you about playing this character. He's like, I'm not going to do it that way. And so there is this surreal, like, 20-minute documentary interview with, it's not Tom Noonan, it's with Frankenstein's monster from the Monster Squad, answering questions like, yeah, you know, and then when I got some pizza, but he's doing it as Frankenstein's monster. It's the creepiest thing ever. <laughs> and that's how deep he is when he takes on a role. It's, it's not a very wordy interview. No, it's, he's still in character. <laughs> and after we wrapped Duncan's interview, I asked him a personal question because he's been in so many movies. I said, where is this on your rank of films that you've worked on as best to worst? And he said it was at the very top. Playing Dracula was a very special moment for him. Yeah, I mean, he's one of my favorite Dracula, too. Just because I saw the movie at that age, he's kind of what I imagined as Dracula. Because I, I wasn't all that familiar with Christopher Lee yet. You know, I don't know if I'd even seen that performance at that age. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, you hear about the character and you see this guy and, well, I mean, he just brought it. And I think he scared the crap out of a lot of people. You know, maybe the kids that were a little young watching it at home with their older brother or sister or something. And, yeah, I'm sure he made some sleepless nights. <laughs> Well, let's talk about the, the journey of, of Monster Squad back to the, the spotlight. This all started with an Alamo Drafthouse event, didn't it? You know, it, it sort of did. So kind of the overall, I, I see sort of like a circle of, of three, you know, stories with this whole thing. You know, we have the movie coming out in 87 and then it goes away. It disappears for 19 or 20 years. And then we do this uh, out of the blue. It wasn't dead per se, but... People that really dug it and, you know, really loved it, held it, and they thought they were the only ones that had it, you know, and, you know, they had their VHS copy or they had some, you know, ripped off Laserdisc DVD in the, in the late 90s. And we got together to do this kind of cast reunion screening in 2006 at the Austin Alamo Draft House, and we had no idea that what a kind of spark that would be to kind of really ignite you know, the last 10 or 11 years of what's going on. And ultimately, we're here talking today because of that seminal event, really. And over the last 10 or 11 years, it's been, you know, appearances and screenings and tours and, uh, you know, Comic-Cons and, and private screenings and events and just this whole resurgence of whether it's just myself or me and Ryan or me and Ryan and Ashley or the whole cast and all the monsters it's just been kind of a whirlwind the last 10 years that, you know, and that's, that's when I really started to understand that this movie connected with quite a lot of people. And not only did it connect with quite a lot of people, but it connected really, really deep. And that was sort of kind of the inspiration for this documentary of let's tell that story because this is really unique. This is a movie that people would not let die. And they kept it close in their hearts and in their guts for so long. Let's turn that, Let's turn the spotlight back on them a little bit and tell their story and why that why this became this way. A lot of it has to do with uh, memory. I mean, this is a movie that imprinted people. So the 2006 event, I feel like a lot of people came out there because they remembered seeing it on HBO or on cable. But back then, you didn't have the internet. So people watched these movies when they were kids, but they could only talk about it in their cul-de-sac or their playground, and then it would go away, and there's no way of holding on to it. There's no Facebook group. There's no Twitter to follow a hashtag to see where that goes. So, But something imprinted into them where they just held on to that experience until they see that it's going to play at the Alamo. And that's when everybody rallied together 
and ultimately ended up creating one of the first, like, by popular fan demand DVDs and Blu-rays. And it actually came out at San Diego Comic-Con, is that right? Yeah, uh, Lionsgate, actually, we had a, I think it was Saturday afternoon, you know, when we had a big booth at Comic-Con to launch the DVD. And I don't, you know, I think we had probably, I think it was like a three-hour or four-hour window or something to be in this booth and taking pictures and signing stuff. And uh, it, it was chock full. And I don't think uh, Lionsgate, which was the studio that had domestic distribution at the time, knew what was going to happen with this title. And that event was just packed. And they had a screening later that night to celebrate the release, and it was packed. They showed the movie. And they sold out of the DVD the first run of it in like 72 hours. And they had to make another run, and they sold out like a week later. And then they made a third run, and that sold out a week later. And then it was gone again for a number of years. So, you know, all these fans finally got what they wanted for years, which was a DVD release. And then it went out of print so quick because everybody bought it. And, um, you know, then it was, then it was a, a, a valuable, tradable commodity again for a number of years until the first Blu-ray came out. And, you know, they just crushed it. It was amazing. So how has the experience of making this documentary been for you? Um, well, uh, as, as the person who thought it would be a neat idea to tell these stories, uh, I, I am certainly pleased with the fact that we did so much in so little time. <laughs> Uh, we, you know, when you look at the grand, you know, kind of the grand whole calendar of what we put together and what we did, uh, you know, normally documentaries take a lot, a lot longer. And we were fortunate with some timing and, you know, kind of the, you know, the studio and the crew that I ended up, you know, jumping on board with this. And we just, just hammered it really for, you know, a year straight. And, you know, to see that original idea that I wanted to tell uh, turn into something much deeper and much more colorful and much more meaningful. Uh, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm over the moon about that. And to see the reaction and, you know, kind of the response that people give with, you know, that we've now shown it in public only really four times, right? Um, if, if we continue down that road with that response when people walk out of the theater, it's, you know, it's beyond expectations and, you know, super appreciative. So, you know, that's my perspective as, you know, the guy who kind of conceptualized the documentary and kind of, you know, you know, tried to steer the ship as, as we went through the year. And then I just had a great group of, you know, guys that worked with me on it. And they, they really deserve, you know, 90% of the credit of, you know, what we did with quality and how we got it done and what it's, looks and sounds like and feels like really so that's uh I, you know from start to finish it, it was fun and eye-opening and amazing and then just super appreciative of what we ended up with well i know you guys are still yeah. out in the uh convention circuit and the film festival circuit where are you playing next uh well we are uh we could announce the Australia one, right the Australia one. yeah uh we the 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 documentary is actually screening at, um, what's it called? It was uh, Monster Fest. In yeah, Monster, Monster Fest in Brisbane, Brisbane Australia uh, at the end of this month. And then we actually have a unique little kind of uh, showing experience. Um, I'm going to Denver Comic Con uh, in the middle of June. Uh, Ryan Lambert's also going, and we're signing as, you know, the guys from, from, the, from the Monster Squad. And we're also... Uh, 
uh, I get to screen the documentary there in front of a convention crowd. So, you know, we'll have a, you know, a set theater, you know, in the convention space and get to show it there to a non-film festival crowd, but also sort of, you know, uh, a, a genre crowd. So it would be a different experience, but should be fun. And then we have a few more festivals that are, uh, we are selected and in, but we can't officially announce yet until a couple more weeks. Yeah, but we gotcha. we'll let you know. And we're planning something big in California around Halloween time, too. Awesome. Well, uh, we thank you very much for calling in and doing this interview. And like I said, I, I really like Wolfman's Got Nards, and uh, I think Roger wants to say something real quick. Well, I was just going to say, Andre and he- Henry, that uh, I, my 17-year-old son and I rewatched The Monster Squad this week. And um, I was a little worried how he would react to it. I mean, he's a 17-year-old teenager living in the 21st century. But I had prepped him by uh, – he and I went back and watched some of the old classic Dracula and uh, Frankenstein and some of those. And um, it, he, he had two reactions. He, first of all, he loved Monster Squad. I was really surprised, but he just loved the movie. He thought it was very funny. And uh, the two things that stood out to him was – when you guys did the pond scene with Frankenstein, with Frankenstein's monster and the little girl, he jerked his head around and looked at me because, you know, he'd, he'd seen that shot before, you know, in the original right. Frankenstein. And then the one line that I thought he thought would, that I thought he would really laugh is the Wolfman's Got Nards line. But the line that really got him was when uh, all the kids were huddled up with Frankenstein and they were about to enter into Dracula's house to get the amulet. And, and you turn around and you say to Frankenstein, shut up, Frank, you know, and he just right. thought that was hilarious that you're already on, you know, personal terms with Frankenstein already, you know, kind of a deal. So that was kind of a, right. That's, yeah, that was that's, a, that's funny. I like that. Yeah, yeah that, awesome. that was a great experience here. You know, I was 16 years old when I went and saw Monster Squad. Now here he's 17 and I got to share it with my son. And so that was a really cool experience. I just, yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate that, you know. Well, you know, it's interesting, you know, then, you know, if, if, if that's, if that experience works for you, then, you know, this documentary is going to work for you as well, because we actually cover, you know, sort of that kind of dynamic as well, because it's one of these movies that even though it's, you know, at whatever time they choose 20, 25, 30 years old, that these original fans, you know, share it and show it with their own kids, um, whether they are. Um, and it's crazy now over the years I've heard fans, you know, show it to their five and six and seven year olds, which is pretty young. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I, I, apparently six is the new 10. And, uh, it, it, you know, it's interesting to see that these kids actually, even though they're new generation kids, you know, kind of relate and find things that they really, really like, or whether it's, you know, someone that's 20 something in film school or in college and someone has an old DVD that they show their pal. Yeah. And, you know, I think Henry has, you know, because he's a little, he's in a generation prior to mine and has, you know, similar experiences. Yeah, it's something to point out for your listeners that one of the magical things about this documentary uh, is not only is it for fans, but it's made by fans. Everyone that worked on this film, uh, if they weren't in the Monster Squad, it's because they grew up watching the Monster Squad. Yeah. And so we were really able to find that passion that a fan has for something so beautiful and turn that into what the documentary is now. All right, well, I think we'll wrap it up. And again, the documentary is called Wolfman's Got Nards. It's currently making a run through all the festivals and conventions, and we'll let you know when you can get it at home. 
That's right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Thank thanks, you. guys. Thank you so much, guys.